Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Hey friends, welcome to episode 51 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. We continue our series on the Old Testament prophets, and today we're in part four of a six-part series, and the prophet of the day is Amos. And I will admit that this is a bit of a challenging podcast because Amos is a challenging prophet, but his message is really worth hearing, and so I invite you to take in these words with openness, and grace. And so to talk about the prophet Amos, I want to start with a story from my childhood. And this is a story that I've told before in a stewardship sermon back in 2019. And so my apologies if you have heard this story, but it's a funny story and one that segues nicely into today's material on the prophet Amos. And this is a story about myself when I was very young Because a long time ago, before I was a priest, I was an entrepreneur. I started a small business in the fifth grade selling CDs, and given how expensive CDs were at the time, one could not be successful in this industry without a real competitive edge, which I found in a way that I now know was not legal. There was a new company called Columbia House, still in business, by the way, And they would mail you CDs on credit, meaning I just had to fill out a form, shade the truth just a little bit, pretend to be my father, and less than a week later, 10 CDs would arrive in the mail without any money ever leaving my hands, which was helpful because I had no money. Now, given their one account per address limit for my business to grow, And if my desire for more CDs was to be satiated, I had to recruit other children in the neighborhood who had a little ambition and teach them my business model, which again was nothing more than a forged signature. Within weeks, I had 14 employees to participate. They had to agree to a 7-3 split. They kept three CDs and seven went to corporate headquarters, a.k.a my bedroom. Within two months, I had 80 CDs in my possession. I had a plan to expand the business to the north side of town, but then something happened. I started feeling the heat. Apparently, every parent in the neighborhood got a demand letter on the exact same day, so I made a plan to sell the business as quickly as possible. And because my younger brother was obsessed with the CD collection, I decided to make him what I told him was a super secret proposal. For $200 cash, money that he had saved from the past two Christmases, I told him that he could have full ownership of the CD collection, with one exception. They would need to stay under my control, and he could only listen to them with my permission. He was eight years old at the time. Anyway, my defenseless brother gave me the $200. I then wrote a fake title of ownership, 
Weeks later, I resold half the CDs without telling my brother. Sadly, I took advantage of my little brother. I got richer at his expense, and he, of course, got poorer. All that to say, the prophet Amos would have ripped me apart because God used Amos to give the people of Israel a serious wake-up call. Because the truth is, Amos's time was not that unlike our own. The rich kept getting richer and the poor kept getting poorer. In fact, the rich would use unjust economic practices to take advantage of the poor, and over time, they grew complacent. They thought God did not notice, or perhaps that God did not care. That is, until one day, Amos shows up with a message from God. The injustice in your land is breaking my heart. You cannot worship me with one hand and oppress the poor with the other. I love the poor and the defenseless, and if you love me, you must love them too. That was God's message through the prophet Amos. Now, a little background. Amos came onto the scene around 750 BC. He is the first of the writing prophets. And so Elijah and Elisha were prophets before him, but we only know about their lives through other people. But Amos tells us a lot about himself. He was a farmer from Tekoa, a little town outside of Bethlehem. And one day God tells Amos to leave his sheep to go to Samaria, and to give a message to the people of Israel. Now remember, God's family at this stage in the history of the people of Israel was divided. There is a northern kingdom, and there is a southern kingdom, and the two kingdoms are apart. And so Samaria is the capital city of the northern kingdom. It is the center of wealth and power in Israel at this time, maybe like Washington, D.C., or perhaps London. But not only that, Israel is experiencing a real time of peace and growth and economic prosperity. And so if you're an upper-middle-class citizen, you're wealthy, you're comfortable, and you are really happy with your life at this time. To put things in modern terms, the market is up, and you're making a killing. There's only one problem. You're killing the poor in the process. But if you're making money, if you're comfortable, if you're not harming anyone directly, who cares? Well, Amos's message is simple. God cares. And so here's just a portion of what Amos says to Israel's elite upper class. And this reading from the prophet Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, comes from the message, which is Eugene Peterson's transliteration of the Old Testament. They buy and sell upstanding people. People for them are only things, ways of making money. They'd sell a poor man for a pair of shoes. They'd sell their own grandmother. They grind the penniless into the dirt, and they shove the luckless into the ditch. They've extorted from the poor and they sit around drinking wine that they've conned from their victims. Here ends the reading. And so the prophet Amos is clear. The sin of Israel is not blatant idolatry as it was when Elijah prophesied. 
The sin of Israel is how they treat the poor. And so Israel is back to worshiping God. They're back to reading their Bible on a daily basis, so to speak. But their spiritual life, although part of it is good and healthy, it's out of balance. They may be worshiping rightly, but they are living wrongly. God has blessed them with abundance, and instead of helping the poor out of that abundance— They are hoarding God's provision for themselves. They're living a life of luxury. Poverty is all around them, and they don't even seem to care. And God sends Amos to tell Israel that their greed is breaking God's heart. You see, the people are worshiping God. They're going to church each Sunday, but the same things that break God's heart are not breaking theirs. Their spiritual life is out of balance. And I think it's important that we understand why. You see, whenever the people of Israel were still in the desert, before they entered the promised land, this is what God told them, and it's from the book of Deuteronomy. Again, I'm going to use the translation from the message. Make sure foreigners and orphans get their just rights. Don't take the cloak of a widow as security for a loan. Don't ever forget... You were once slaves in Egypt, and God got you out of there. I command you, do what I'm telling you. When you harvest your grain and forget a sheep back in the field, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow, so that God will bless you in all of your work. When you shake the olives off your trees, don't go back over the branches and strip them bare. That's what's left for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. And when you cut the grapes in your vineyard, Don't take every last grape. Leave a few for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. Don't ever forget that you used to be a slave in Egypt. Here ends the reading. Now, the reason their spiritual life is out of balance is clearly because they have forgotten who they are. The Israelites have spiritual amnesia. They used to be poor, and God made them rich. They used to be slaves, and God set them free. They used to be exiles, and God brought them home. And so before they enter the promised land, God tells them in the reading I just shared, I saved you from your oppressors, not because you deserved it, but because I love you. And so don't you dare go and become the oppressor when you enter the promised land. But that's exactly what happened. They became the oppressor. One of the most common commands in Scripture, believe it or not, is a single word, remember. Throughout the Bible and the Old Testament in particular, God tells his people to remember, remember that you were oppressed in Egypt, but I showed you compassion. Remember that because I showed you compassion, you need to show compassion to the oppressed, the outcast, and the needy. Remember that I'm saving you to reveal my heart to the world, and so extend the same grace and the same justice to others that I have extended to you. Don't forget that who you are cannot be separated from what I've done for you. You are the people I have redeemed. Remember. And in Deuteronomy, God lists three people in particular. The foreigner the orphan, and the widow, three people that Israel is to treat with compassion. Historically speaking, foreigners immigrated to the land of Israel, like 
modern-day illegal immigrants without U.S. citizenship. They had no rights and no privileges. Orphans were a lot more common in Amos' day, and because the orphanage had not yet been invented, God tells his chosen people to provide for the orphans. And finally, widows are mentioned because in a patriarchal society, a woman with no husband had no voice, no protection, no money. So the word for people like this in our day is marginalized people. By definition, marginalized people are groups that will most likely be forgotten, mistreated, oppressed, and taken advantage of unless someone speaks up. And the reason God is concerned for them is because they need someone to help them, to defend them, to love them. And so I think there's something that each one of us needs to face. The nature of sin is to marginalize certain people, to find people without power and to push them to the margins out of the way. In the day of Amos, it was the foreigner. It was the orphan. It was the widow. Our responsibility as Christians is to figure out who the marginalized in our society are and then to extend our compassion and our love for them, to seek justice for those who are treated with injustice. And it could be anyone. It could be persons of color, senior citizens, immigrants, the homeless, people with physical or mental disabilities, prisoners, workers whose pay keeps going down but whose workload goes up and up and up. It could be anyone. It is so important, so important that we understand the heart of God toward the marginalized and that we find practical ways of communicating God's love for them. You see, Amos was sent to a people that saw injustice all around them, and they didn't really notice. In fact, they felt really good about their lives, and they felt really good about their faith because they worshiped God on a regular basis. The word for this is complacency. The people Amos preached to were asleep in their complacency. And here is just a portion of what Amos says to wake them up. And again, I will continue to read from the message. Listen to this, you cows of Bashan, grazing on the slopes of Samaria, you women, mean to the poor, cruel to the down and out, indolent and pampered. You demand of your husbands, bring us a tall, cool drink. This is serious. I, God, have sworn by my holiness. Be well warned. Judgment day is coming. Wow. Well, I'm not sure whether you picked up on Amos's tone, but for the record, this is not a compliment. In this passage, Amos is speaking to the wives of wealthy and powerful men, and he calls them cows of Bashan. Bashan was a very fertile area. The cows of Bashan were famous for being, well, let's just say well-fed. And so cows of Bashan is Amos's way of telling the Israelites, and truth be told, he's speaking to men and women that well, that they're a bunch of fat cows. Most biblical scholars agree that they did not take it well. But this is not just random name-calling on Amos's part, because think for a moment about the nature of a cow. You know, cows are not really known for their good deeds of service. In fact, they're not really known for anything except eating. A cow is a walking appetite and eating machine. In fact, cows actually have four stomachs. They consume. That's what a cow does. The only question a cow ever asks itself is, 
where can I get more? Now, let's be honest. We live in a society that encourages us to live like cows of Beishen. Think about the commercials, the billboards, the magazines, the ads on social media that we see on a day-to-day basis. They're always trying to sell us something. They want us to consume. In the same way that a cow eats grass all day, our media culture wants us to become a walking appetite for food, for money, for pleasure. They want us to become like a cow that only asks one question, where can I get more? How can I get a larger house? How can I get a larger salary? How can I drive a newer car? How can I be more attractive? Our consumerist culture is an expert at producing cows of Beishen. And the thing about cows, you know, they never say the word enough. A cow never asks, where can you get more? A cow's only concern is where I can get more. And that is just fine for a cow. But if we listen to Amos's voice, being a cow of Bashan is not fine for you and for me. Remember, Israel's problem was that they never saw the connection between the way they treated the poor and the way they worshipped God. And I think it's really easy for us to fall into this exact same pattern. We far too often assume that Christianity is about accepting Jesus, but it's not. Christianity is about loving Jesus and obeying Jesus. And from the mouth of Jesus himself, what you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do also to me. It's sad, but a lot of people in our world worship on a regular basis, read their Bible, tithe their money, And yet, they still have a hard heart toward the poor and the outcast. And what Amos tells us is that God wants us to feel the same compassion for the poor that God does. And that God wants us to live a life where we notice the marginalized and the needy and then respond with generosity and compassion And, you know, to be really clear, feeling anger, even if we think it's righteous anger towards someone that we deem the oppressor, is not a substitute for feeling compassion and love for the poor and the needy. The point here is not to be people who are against someone, but to be a people who are for someone, to be for the poor, to be for the outcast, to be for the needy to have love for them the way that God has love for them, even if we can't solve all the problems of the world or even most of them. What we can do is have compassion. One of the Bible's most famous verses is Amos 5.24, which reads, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Martin Luther King Jr. alluded to this verse in his famous I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King lived in a world where people of color were marginalized, but because he was rooted in Scripture, he knew the heart of God. And because of that, Dr. King spoke the word of God to complacent Christians who over time had lost touch with God's heart. And as we all know, Martin Luther King's impact was great. Our impact can be great as well. But if our impact is to be great— We need to listen 
to the message of Amos. As hard as it is, as challenging as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as squeamish as it makes us feel, especially when he looks at us and calls us cows of Beishen. Because if our world has its way with us, if we live our life asleep, it's very easy to live a life with fat cow disease. And so, in closing, there is only one medicine, one medicine that cures fat cow disease, and it's a single word, remember. That's it. Grace is that which enables us to remember. The people of Israel forgot. They forgot that they used to be poor, and so they didn't love the poor. They forgot that they used to be outcasts, and so they didn't love the outcasts. They forgot that they used to be slaves, and so they didn't love people enslaved by practices in society that left them on the margins. And so let's not make the same mistake as people who believe that in Christ we are alive. Let us not forget that first we were dead in our sins. And so remember, remember that God saved us to reveal God's heart to the world, and that our privilege, our privilege, is to extend the same grace and the same justice and the same compassion to other people that God has extended to us. And to the extent that we remember, to the extent that we live our lives rooted in who we are in God's sight and what God has done for us, justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream.